Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Gina Bianca podcast, where we talk about life, business, entrepreneurship, the beauty industry, and beyond. My name is Gina Bianca, life and business coach, salon owner, educator, mastermind mentor, and your host of the Gina Bianca podcast. Have you ever used Framar products? They are absolutely amazing. I love all of their products, especially their Big Papa foils. Big Papa foils are a game changer if you're a foiling specialist. I also love their capes. I love their trays for the salon. We have so many Framar products, it's unbelievable. And we love their power painters. All of their brushes are just key. If you want to get Framar for 10% off, be sure to join Mastermind. We have a monthly 10% off code or use the link in my bio on Instagram to shop Framar. What's up, everybody, and welcome to the Gina Bianca podcast. Today, we have Ashley Norman, the founder of Ashley Norman Hair. She's a mom of two, brand ambassador, and an amazing educator. Ashley, welcome to the podcast. Hello. (laughs) Amazing. So, Ashley, I've been following forever. And I'm so inspired by her, what she does. She's an amazing educator. She's got this awesome brand that she puts out there on social media. She's super consistent and classy and just amazing with what she does online. So I've been following a fan forever. And um, I recently saw a post that she did talking about like achieving her dreams, like as a mother and, you know, not letting anything stop her and making it work. And her, I was like so inspired by the one post. I was like, I need to hear your whole story. (laughs) And I would just love to, you know, share you with my beautiful audience, the people who listen. Thank you guys for listening. And just let you get to know Ashley, hear what she's got um, going on. And I was inspired from an Instagram post. So I'm just excited to hear your story, your journey, and what you're up to now. So Ashley, thank you for being here. Introduce yourself however you'd like. And I'd love to just hear your story. Awesome. So, um, like you said, um, I am an independent educator, hairstylist. Um, and actually I, before I wanted to be a hairdresser, I actually wanted to be an actress, which is kind of funny because now I like to say that I travel and tour my one woman show. (laughs) So, um, anyway, Uh, I actually was doing a lot of theater in junior high and high school. And then I fell in love with hair backstage. So I was doing, uh, I think it was my sophomore year. I was 15 years old and we were doing plays like little shop of horrors and Greece. And I was actually doing both the costuming and the hair backstage. Um, so I was actually like designing costumes and sewing, and then also doing like up to nine cast members hair a night. And so I realized that, you know, my true talent was actually, you know, not necessarily on stage, but behind the scenes. And so I realized that I wanted to to pursue this. And at at first I was thinking I was going to do both like fashion and hair, but you know, that's a lot. So you kind of have to pick one. And, um, I decided to go to beauty school while I was still in high school. So I was 17 and I went to ROP cosmetology And the way they did that was you went to high school half the day, and then the second half of the day, you went to beauty school, and then you went to beauty school on Saturdays. So I was uh, finishing up my senior year of high school, starting uh, 2003 is actually when I I went to cosmetology school. And um, 
at the time, you know, when I started telling my family that I wanted to be a hairdresser, they were like, what? Like, you're going to waste your brains. Like they really weren't excited about it. And I think it's because I come from a long line of college educated, you know, very high end professionals. Like my aunt, uh, one of my aunts, for example, was a Boeing engineer for 35 years. My other aunt was a professor of mathematics at a UC, you know, had her doctorate. So, you know, I was expected to not just go to college, but probably get a master's degree or a doctorate. So uh, the fact that I wanted to go to beauty school was not, not such a great thing. I think they were hoping that was just going to be my side hustle. But, you know, I was truly passionate about it. And I also decided to continue to go to college, even after I got my beauty school license and started working at a salon, just to prove to my family that I could get a degree and get it with honors while working full time. So I actually uh, graduated high school and soon after got my license and started um, working at a salon and then quickly got on the floor. And that was about, I think that was the summer of 2005. I after I got out of beauty school, I went to my first ever advanced continuing education class at Vidal Sassoon. I took their six week comprehensive class in 2005 and I was 19 wow. years old. That's, an, yeah. that's incredible. So you are getting a master's degree. <laughs> yeah. I mean, with the amount of education that I've paid for both traditional education, as well as like, you know, vocational, it, it's a lot, I've spent a lot of money and I continue to spend a lot of money on my education. So I like to say that I, I view myself as an educator, uh, educator first and influencer second. In fact, I don't totally. really identify with the influencer thing. I don't much. either at this point, I'm like calling myself a role model now. Cause I just don't like the influencer and I just like to like be there as somebody to look up to, but not necessarily have the responsibility of influencing behavior. It's like such a weird world. For sure. For um, sure. But yeah. that's, that's amazing. I mean, going to Vidal Sassoon for six weeks after school, like that was always a dream of mine and I never had the the cash to do it and I didn't save and I was so frivolous with my spending. So it's not like I would have been able to spend it, but, um, I, I admire that discipline and over my career, I definitely have invested a ton in education and I always recommend to people to invest. Like when you pay, you pay attention, like invest in yourself. Like this doesn't have to be a trade only, you know, it could be so much more. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I was lucky. I mean, it's crazy because I think about it back then, you know, I was 2005 and the six week course was $6,000, you know? So that was a lot of money. And, you know, nowadays we have a lot of independent educators that will fly to you. So you don't have to do the travel and, you know, your classes may be like four or 500 bucks. And if you really think about it, that's actually kind of cheap because, you know, if you factor in inflation and the fact that they're coming to you, I mean, that's, it's quite interesting. I'll have people be like, oh no, I can't come to that class. It's three hours away. And I'm like, girl, like, do you realize I fly to London <laughs> and pay like 10 grand for a private class? Like you can't drive three hours, you know? <laughs> But I well, guess it's, this generation is a little value. spoiled. You know, it's, it's, <laughs> you know, it's, you're amazing for doing that. I'm amazing for doing that, for not only the traveling and being an educator thing, but the amount we've invested in ourselves. It's amazing. It's not what everybody will do. 
that's why yeah. you and I can be in the positions that we are because we've worked hard to get here and it have invested. Now, when you get those comments, cause I get the same thing and it's like, are you serious? It's like, but you can't, you have to even think like, maybe they just don't value growth as much as I do, or maybe they don't value education. Cause some people just don't like there's hairstylists in the world who have never taken a class. Yeah. You know, so yeah. it's crazy, but you know, it is cheap to fly for me to fly out and go to somebody and charge a 350 ticket price, you know, to a stylist, that's like a high end ticket because people are doing classes for like $49 or something, Mm -hmm. but like the travel, the information, and then the, the result, the information can have, like, I've seen your curriculum. Like I've read the description of your classes and I've seen the results and I followed you. And it's like, if people implemented what you taught, they would make 10 times behind the chair, you know, within what a week, a month, you know what I mean? (laughs) Like they will, they will make that investment way back. And then the confidence. Oh yeah. I mean, like that's, that's what keeps me going is I get the messages, you know, that people say like, wow, like, holy shit, like six months, a year later, people are messaging me and they'll message me like screenshots of their income. Like (laughs) they're just like, holy shit, you know, cause they, yeah, it is. It's a lot of information in one day. And I've even had the feedback of like, Hey, your classes are too condensed. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to water it down. Like if you can't, and I, and I admit it. Yeah. Taking one of my classes is a lot like trying to drink out of a fire hose. It's, it's, it's too much in one day, but I'd rather, you know, overwhelm than underwhelm. And if they can't take it all in, in one day, they can come back or they can do my online education, you know, so they can, there's, I don't want people to walk away and think that's all there is. Like there's so much more. And I did a live, uh, just yesterday with one of my team members who is now a sponsored artist and influencer and traveling independent educator. And, you know, he started taking my classes like a good five years ago. And he told me he walked away and was like, Holy shit. I, I, (laughs) there's a lot I need to learn. Whereas he had walked away from other classes that he had paid more for. And was just like, what did I just spend all that money on, you know? So anyway, that's kind of my philosophy about education. So I agree. And my classes are totally, you know, overwhelming. Like it's a lot of information. And I know that like, they're only going to hold on to so much, but I want them to come back. And there is the online. And I think that that's, you know, when you commit to an education for a year, like if you commit to a few different educators for a year and like, instead of trying to be them, do what they tell you to do. Like, don't take the shortcut of like trying to like emulate them follow what they say, practice, do the technique, like do it over and over, get the online so you can watch it and do it again and do it again and do it again. And like actually make that class worth the investment. You know, I think that that's a huge benefit if you're going to invest in like top tier education to like not only go, but like follow up. That's why I have mastermind. Cause like I was teaching them my two day class and people were just like, we need support. And I was just like, okay, join this Facebook group. And that's how my online started. But like, I would, I would be doing everybody a disservice by not having some kind of follow-up. And I'm glad that you do that. Yeah. And, um, online education is an interesting space. You know, I started my online education actually three years ago, which was, uh, not, you know, obviously not the first person to have it, but I was, I would say a little bit earlier in the game, obviously uh, post COVID, you know, everybody was filming online education and releasing it. 
um, after 2020 because they realized, you know, with in-person education got kind of tricky there. So the competition's a lot stiffer now than it was three years ago when I started launching it. And, you know, a lot of people do subscription-based, but for me, I, I didn't want to do description subscription because, you know, I have very signature placements and techniques, but I would hone those over years, traveling and trying to really minimize everything down and simplify it as much as possible and make it very behind the chair friendly. And then I would put together a class that's a good four hours long with, you know, head sheets and theory. And so that's very intense and it's all unlimited view. So you can watch it over and over and over. It's not quick tips and tricks, 45 minute videos. So I wasn't able to produce small tidbits of content that could be, you know, on a subscription base. It was like, no, I came out with three classes a year and they were like, very intense and you'd have to watch them over and over and practice over and over. So I wish I knew how to simplify things and do things. <laughs> but for some reason, like when I get in front of the camera, it's yeah, it's uh, it ends up being a four hour class. So well, I think we, there's just different things, you know, and I think that you're a great educator and you add so much value. Like it doesn't always have to be quick tips and tricks. It's tips and tricks and stuff are great and smaller amounts of content are great. But like those robust courses that somebody, like I have courses like that from my past, you know, that I was learning from over and over and that I would watch like 20 times, like my Robert Crow means tapes. I listened to a hundred times, you know, and those were like the biggest impact of my whole career. So I, I just think it's great. And I think it's great. We just have the opportunity to do online. So and, um, you know, even, you know, doing it a couple of years back and now post COVID, it's a little bit different. It's just great to make it accessible. Yeah, obviously like our, this generation is like very spoiled, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of educators out there and a lot of content available where, you know, back in the day, I mean, I remember buying DVDs at the hair show, you know, totally. <laughs> It's hilarious to think about it now. Yeah. So wherever I cut you off, <laughs> I'm like, where were we before I started jabbering on with you? Um, I think I was talking about like graduating school and like working full time, you know, and going to school at night for my bachelor's degree, which, which I did finish. It took me eight years of night school to finish my bachelor's degree. So I do have a ba uh, bachelor's of science in, uh, fashion merchandising and business marketing. And I graduated with honors, which means you have to have above a 375 GPA. So I did that That's amazing. just to prove to my parents that I could, but <laughs> it's kind of funny to prove how stubborn I am. Um, <laughs> but in that time, while I was like working full time and going to school at night, um, I also married my high school sweetheart, my husband, and um, he was working full-time. He had uh, graduated from his bachelor's when we got married. And then he was going to school at night while working full-time. He was a engineer at Southern California Edison. And then he was going to school at night for his master's in structural design engineering. And then also studying for his two licensing exams, which is like his SC and his PE, which are for, for basically he's licensed to build skyscrapers, schools, and hospitals. So I definitely... <laughs> I didn't become the engineer my parents wanted, but I married the engineer. Perfect. So that's the way I put it. 
Um, so yeah, like we were just super young. Like I said, we were high school sweethearts and we got married like right out of college. So, um, he's actually two years older than me. So I married him after my sophomore year of college and he was graduating. So we were only 20 and 22 when we got married, we were real young and everybody was like, Oh, you know, a lot of people were not happy about us getting married so young, but, um, my husband comes from a very like traditional Christian family and we wanted to like obviously move in together after college and blah, blah. So anyway, um, we didn't necessarily like get married to like start a family right away, which is typically, you know, a lot of young traditional Christian couples, they do that. So then they start having kids right away. And we didn't do that. We actually, we waited um, a long time because we were both just hustling, like really hustling. And we also uh, got married in 2006, which was the last peak in the economy. And we were living in Southern California and we just, we could not afford a home. And my husband did the research and realized what was going on. And it was this crazy housing bubble. And he started reading these blogs that were talking about option arm loans and all this stuff. And he was like, we are headed for a crash. Nobody believed us. Everyone was like, just buy. It's always going to go up. It's always going to go up thank God we didn't listen. And uh, of course, 2008, man, the economy just took a crap, you know, and it was a tough time to be a hairdresser because I had just, uh, I had been on the floor as a commission stylist and in California, there's a lot of rental booth situations going on. And so pretty much it's like, you only stay on commission while you're building your clientele, because that's, you know, the incentive that the shop has to give you walk-ins but once you've built a clientele, then it makes sense to go on booth rent. So I had just transferred from being a commission stylist to booth rent. And it took me quite a few years to build my clientele since I started in, you know, 2005 to 2008. Like I had just barely had enough clientele at that point to, to become a booth runner. And then of course the economy crashed and I lost half my clientele. So it was a really tough time. There was a lot of group bonding going on. And um, when was this like 2009? Yeah. That's when I started and graduated (laughs) and I built my whole clientele on Groupon. It's so funny. Right. And so, yeah, it, and it, it, it's, it's interesting because, you know, anyway, I mean, I think when you go through those times and, and for, for me, it was like, okay, if I don't want to be a discount hairdresser, then how am I going to, you know, get back? And that's when I even doubled down on my education And at that time, um, I was working in a salon that was a Bumble and Bumble exclusive salon. And I had already been the Bumble and Bumble network educator for a year. I started uh, taking classes at the Bumble and Bumble University in New York in 2007. And I would go back once or twice a year, take classes and then do teachbacks. And that's kind of like the liaison program that they call the network educator program. So I was an NE for the, the NE for my salon. But I also like was at also taking over the whole salon education because the salon was brand new opened the doors in 2007. And so there was no education program. So I started the education program with, and with the assistants and then whole salon education. So I wasn't just going to Bumble. I was going to Sassoon. I was going to Tony and Guy. I was going to DePetro Todd in San Francisco, the Well Academies all the way to Paris and back. And then you know, every single class I took, I would come back to the salon and do a teach back. I would get a live model 
and photograph the model and do the makeup, which is interesting because that's still what I'm doing now. The only difference is it's a different platform. Back then we were using that imagery for like, you know, the local Inside SCV magazine and Facebook and our monthly email newsletters. And then it transitioned from using that content to content for Instagram. And so, you know, I think it's really important. Like you said, if you're going to go take a class to make sure that you've really learned it, you have to uh, go back and actually practice. And so I always encourage, you know, my students to go back home, find a live model right away and teach it back to somebody. Because if you have to teach it to somebody, then you really have to learn it because then you have to revisit your notes. I mean, I don't know if I, if, if I don't do a teach back, I might go to a class and take all these notes, but never, never reference them again. So I think that's you know, great advice. I think that's incredible advice. Yeah. And then obviously like you're doing it on a live model. So then you create the content and creating content is something that you have to learn. And there was a period of time that I was trying to do editorial work. And I actually worked a couple of seasons of fashion week in New York. And I'm, I never was successful in the editorial world because it's a very elite small. I mean, you do a lot of test shooting for free just to get your name in print for years before you can be signed by an agency. You do, you do a lot of work for, you know, fashion week where you're paying your own travel and you're not getting paid to assist backstage. And you do that for years before you get signed to the main team. And so, you know, I never got into that very elite group that was actually signed and being paid, but I'm very grateful for that time because what it did teach me was a lot about how things translate in a photograph or on video and how something looks in person and how something looks on camera is very different and learning how to capture that. So learning, you know, editorial photography really helped me become a better content creator ultimately is what I use it for now. But anyway, I think, I I think that's amazing. Lost. No, I think that's amazing. <laughs> and I was just doing a call this morning with one of my friends and we were talking about, um, you know, one of the people on her team and they were like, you know, I don't want to do Instagram. It drains my energy, but she's on TikTok for 30 hours a week. <laughs> like, what would you say, Ashley, like if in your class, people were just like, I'm not into Instagram, I'm not into they, they don't want to be a part of it. Do you think it's like moving into the future critical? I mean, I do. Um, I think it's critical to learn and to make it a part of your schooling and make it a part of your job description. What do you think? And like, what advice would you give if one of your students or one of your mentees or somebody was struggling with this? Like, where could they start? I kind of understand why you wouldn't want to get into it. You know, I, I think there's, I think it's not necessarily... I think it's more of an emotional reason why they don't want to get into it. I don't think it's that they're just, they don't have time or this and that. I think it has, it's a lot, it goes a lot deeper Totally. because, you know, I, so I worked at this salon from like, you know, the time I was 20 years old until the time I was 31 and the salon owner was actually my hairstylist since I was 14. She was one of the, one of the people that really inspired me to go into the hair industry in the first place. Someone that I considered a hair mom or a lifetime mentor. And I worked for her for a decade. And I, like I said, I, I started the education program and then I was her manager and I did all of the social media marketing and all the event planning. And so I, I kind of functioned as a business partner, even though I never really had the title. And you were doing, hair and, at the same um, time. 
Yeah. And going to college and, <laughs> and me and my husband were doing Dave Ramsey, which I don't know if you know what that is, but love it. Uh, yeah, we had done that about 2009. We did Dave Ramsey together because we realized, you know, what was going on in the economy and how the baby boomer generation really just lived on the edge and bought these houses they couldn't afford, which caused the crash. And we just wanted to buy a damn house and have a family. And, you know, living in Southern California, we just, we just thought, you know, we work so hard and how come we can't do it when other people don't even have as much education and as much success as us. And so we did Dave Ramsey, which is like a 12, uh, is it 12 weeks or something like that? And you, you the financial you piece, financial, financial piece, piece university. university. I highly yeah. recommend the book, even on audio. I've listened to it many times. The total money makeover on audio mm-hmm. was incredible. And I have his program, financial peace university, amazing, amazing program. And you guys went through it. Yeah. And we did it. We did all the baby steps and really set a solid foundation, which I'm really glad we did that before we had kids because I see other couples that are, you know, starting young families and they're not in the financial position that we were. And it just is like, damn, like having kids and being married is so hard. Like I can't imagine also being like extremely financially strapped and not having had a solid foundation of savings and investments And so I'm just so grateful that we did that. We spent those first like almost 10 years of our marriage just working our asses off and saving money. Um, But anyway, so, you know, there was a period of time where I was going through this transition where I had just graduated college and I, you know, I had rebuilt my clientele post the, the economic crash in 2008. And I was looking for the next step. What was the next step in my career? Same time my husband was like, okay, I'm ready for babies. Like, (laughs) I was just like, whoa, dude, like I just graduated college. Like, I don't know where my, I don't know where my career is going. Like, let's just like, just give me a hot minute. You know, like (laughs) he was like babies. Uh, and I was like, oh shit. So I actually, at that time approached my salon owner about becoming a business partner with her. And so this was about 2014. And I asked her, you know, to partner with me and she ended up turning me down and it was uh, a huge, it was very painful. It felt like a very big rejection. And I was, I was pretty upset about it. (laughs) Um, But looking back, it actually was a huge blessing. So anyway, because she turned me down for partnership after all those years of hard work and investment in the salon, um, I was like, you know what, like, obviously this isn't going to continue to be something more. So I'm going to quit my job as your manager and salon educator. And I'm going to look for the next thing. And of course, then she was upset. She thought I was going to just do that forever. And it was interesting because around the same time was when Instagram started to become a thing, at least for me, 2014. And, you know, because I was so hungry for continuing education I was already doing open air balayage. I had taken open air balayage classes as far back as 2009, 2010 at the DePetro Todd Academy up in San Francisco. And it was classic French hair painting because they were a L'Oreal based academy. And people were asking me questions on Instagram about what I was doing. And I was just posting my techniques. And then finally, you know, someone just asked me like, would you ever teach a class outside your salon? Because they saw that I was teaching, but I was teaching for the salon staff. 
And I was like, Hmm. So then I went to my salon owner and I asked her, I said, Hey, can I, you know, rent the salon space for a day and teach a class? And then she was like, Oh, okay. So I sold five tickets at $250 and I bought everyone's doll head and I bought breakfast and I paid this expensive day rent at the salon. And so I probably, you know, broke even or lost money, but it was my first ever independent education class. And that was December of 2014 and people were blown away and they loved it. And then at the beginning of, uh, 2015, this guy, Victor Val, who you might know, Victor Val, he is Love a, Victor. yeah, he's a distributor for Oligo, Schwarzkopf, a lot of other brands. He owns multiple salons in California. He manages Lisa Loves Balayage in their Balayage Bootcamp tour, as well as the Oligo Blacklight tour. So anyway, I knew Victor because I had done this. So I had an internship in college as part of my degree, where I actually worked for a fashion magazine in Beverly Hills. And they were like, oh, that would be so cool if we had like celebrity hairstylist interviews on our YouTube channel. And I was like, I got you. So I started this YouTube uh, series for Gen Lux magazine called Hair Heroes. And I used it as an opportunity to obviously get my college credit, but also to interview celebrity hairstylists. And one of the celebrity hairstylists I interviewed was Nico Averall. And Nico was a Halle Berry's hairstylist as well as like pink and a lot of other celebrities. So uh, Nico was famous for cutting Halle Berry's hair short into her signature crop. So at the time, Victor and Nico were salon owner partners and they owned a salon called Salon Sessions in Pasadena. And so I had gone to sessions to interview uh, Nico and that's how, how Victor met me. And then he saw that I taught this first class at my salon And he asked me, he was like, hey, I see you're teaching. Would you want to come teach at Salon Sessions? And I was like, what? That's huge because, I mean, this, like I said, it's a celebrity stylist-owned salon was was a big deal. And so he made this deal with me where he could have his staff come as long as they reposted my tour flyer, which was a big deal back then because that's when Instagram was still in chronological order. And you actually had, you know, it actually showed you as people posted, it wasn't, there was no algorithm back then. And so he had all of his staff at all the cut houses and and sessions repost my tour flyer in order to come to my class. And then I negotiated to be able to sell extra tickets to the public. So, which I did. And it was a demo only balayage class. And I had like 40 people in it. So My second ever independent education class was a huge success. At the same time, I was newly pregnant with my son. So I was six weeks pregnant with my son uh, when I taught this class. And it just blew up on social media. And then I started getting offers like, come here, now come here, now come out of state. And I was like, what? Like, And I remember going to my salon owner at the time who interestingly enough, ended up taking on a salon partner for a lesser deal than I had offered her. So that was so weird. Yeah. But you know, it's protecting you. Yeah. I think, you know, it, 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 this actually was going back to answering your question about social media, which I'm sorry, this is kind of a bunny trail, but it's perfect. I love to hear like, this is great. (laughs) So the backstory is really important because this person that she partnered with, who's she's actually 
actually no longer a partner with because this person never actually came up with any of the money she was going to give her. So anyway, this person had more followers on Instagram than me. And that's really the reason why she chose her was because she was more, <laughs> you know, a bigger influencer than me. And so that, that kind of goes back to the whole Instagram thing. It's why wouldn't you be into it? It's like, well, for me, I mean, I lost someone who I thought was my mentor and a lifetime friend over Instagram. And so it, you know, it can be a very painful catty kind of thing. And I remember this partner at the time getting up in front of a staff and, you know, she said, you were nobody without a following on Instagram. And it was like, wow, you were nobody, you were nobody. Like, you're not like, what does that mean? You know, like you're not worthy. You're not a person. Ooh, and it makes I, I think me feel it, yucky. Yeah, it was really yucky. And it was especially yucky because I was turned down and then she, and then also, uh, you know, she chose this other person over me. And so it was especially painful because it was like, kind of like dating someone for 10 years and then finally being like, Hey, are we going to get married or what's going on? And then they're like, no, I never wanted to marry you. And then them turning around and quickly marrying somebody else. That's kind of how it felt. And then realizing that it had to do with social media fame. And so, and then to have this person who was more social media famous than me, get up in front of a staff and tell them that they are nobody. And, you know, it was convenient for her because she had the most followers in the room. And so she was basically saying, hey, I'm at the top of this hierarchy. And it's like, well, you know, Instagram's not the only hierarchy. There's other hierarchies to be on the top of, you know, there's amazing hairstylists that don't even have an Instagram that are, have their work on the cover of Vogue. So you're not on the top of that hierarchy. But anyway, you it's know, like this social pecking order, it's super like weird. Yeah. And, and I think, and, and that's probably what these hairstylists are getting at when they're saying, I don't want to be a part of that. And I understand because, you know, like it took me a long time to really process what she had said, because she was, I think in her mind, if we give her the benefit of a doubt, was trying to encourage them to use social media marketing to benefit their business. And, you know, I would be lying if I said that my career and my success had nothing to do with Instagram. Clearly, the reason I am where I am, I am, is because of that platform. It Same. gave me the, the opportunity to showcase my work in a way that was not technologically possible before, right? So, you know, even as a mother, like being able to travel with my kids and grow the brand at the same time, there's no way a company would have hired me and let me do that, right? No way. And so, you know, when we grew up, the platform artists were all men. And of course they were men because how could you compete with a man who is either a single or his kids are being taken care of by the woman. So he doesn't have to travel with a nursing infant in his lap on the plane, you know? Like he doesn't have to do that. He doesn't have to work one day on, one day off to make sure that his breast milk is coming in properly and he doesn't get mastitis. Like he doesn't have to go through that. So of course you cannot compete with him. He's gonna get the top platform artist spot if you're trying to get a promotion from a 
corporate company. So, you know, before Instagram, mothers didn't really have a platform to be top educators. So for that, I'm extremely grateful to the technology, right? So, you know, obviously there is something to be said about using social media because what I tell my, what I tell my students is like, you know, word of, traditional word of mouth can only spread so far so fast, but social media is like pouring gasoline on the flames, right? You have to have the fire there already, but social media is just a way to spread awareness way faster and way farther than any time before this technology. So, you know, there, of course, it has a huge impact on our careers. So in that case, I understand the piece of it that was true. But, you know, I also thought, okay, there is also some lie in there. So where's the part that's the lie? And I thought, well, if you're going to be talking to a staff that you supposedly had a hand in hiring and training, right? You've chosen these people, you've trained these people, and you're standing up in front of them. What should, should she have said? And I realized what she should have said is this, you are already somebody. That's why you're in this room. You're fucking rad. And we're going to use social media to show everyone else how rad you are. That's what she should have said. That's great advice. It's a great perspective. And, you know, words are very powerful. Yeah. And it, and it, and so what I tell people is this, I say, listen, there was a time where, you know, because I was put in that position and because I was being judged based on the number at the top of a phone app by the person that I loved the most besides maybe like my husband and my family. Right. And the fact that I was rejected over that, it almost like made me feel very desperate to grow on Instagram. And it almost made me like see Instagram numbers, uh, as like, I worshiped it like a God, you know? And I ended up leaving that salon and going into a salon suite when I was pregnant with my second child. And I realized that I had put this thing in my life in a position where my God really should be. And I was scared to leave the salon because at the time it wasn't clear if, if I was part of the salon's success or the salon was a part of my success. And I was afraid that if I left and I, that I would be alone, but you know, I left because I said, you know what, God, like this, this is tearing me apart. I can't be here anymore. It's become a toxic environment for me. And now I'm pregnant with my second child and I don't want to go through my pregnancy feeling this way. And I said, you know what, if I'm nobody, like, at least I know that I, that I have you and, and, you know, and so when I, when I finally sacrificed this Instagram fame on, on the altar and I said, no, you know what? No, this, that's not what life's about. That's when God started truly blessing me. It was amazing. Like the growth that I had after was like, wow. And, and so, you know, what I try to tell people in my classes is like, you have to keep it in perspective. Okay. Instagram is not your God. 
Instagram is not your self-worth. All it is is a tool. It's a marketing tool. Use it. Don't let it use you. Totally. So maybe that's the long, the long-winded answer to your question. No, I mean, I think that I think it's critical to utilize it as a marketing tool. The fact that everybody's on their phone, I think it's critical to make it a part of your marketing plan. I don't think it's the end of the world, but I think that, you know, we have to really look at the power that it does have to show, you know, you are somebody, but to get that out into the world and to really help you build that clientele. But then again, you know, I didn't have Instagram when I was building my clientele um, in the beginning and I did just fine. So I yeah. think, I think you're right. To- I totally agree. The boundaries are huge with it and, you know, really taking care of yourself and filling yourself up so that, you know, you're not filling yourself up with your, you know, likes, comments, shares, bookmarks, followers, all of that shit, you know, like that, uh, it's, it's like love addiction, you know, it's getting that validation instead of validating yourself, getting it from social media is a very common challenge. I mean, I struggle with that. Yeah. And I'm, and it's not something that like I've ultimately overcome and I never struggle with, but you know, it's something that you have to keep reminding yourself of. And, you know, the other thing is just understanding what it is that you really want. You know, you have virtual reality and then you have actual reality. And, you know, some people look at building a following is like, Oh, I got to get more followers. I've got to get more followers. And it's like, well, are you just trying to build like a fake kind of social network where you're literally social climbing? Like you're just trying to follow and like other people's pages to get them to follow and like you back. Or are you trying to build a genuine community? You know, so there's different ways to use social media. It's like, you can use it to socially climb and have a a fake network of friends that you don't actually like, but you just comment on their shit because you think it's going to get you more activity on your page. Totally. Or you could have a real network where you follow and like people that you actually like and actually want to get to know and actually want to create relationships with. And so, you know, when I really decided to focus on looking at it in a different way, that's also kind of when my team started to grow. And so everyone who's on my traveling education team, they're hairstylists, influencers, salon owners, and they live all over the country. And so depending on where I'm going to be, I'll have different people from different parts of the country that are on my education team come and help me co-facilitate my education. Because I think it's really important, especially during hands-on, that I have stylists that are actually trained in my technique to help with the hands-on, not just some assistant that is working for me for free that already works at the salon who's just helping me wash out my bowls that day. So it's very expensive to have a team because you have to pay for all their flights and their hotels and food while traveling and the day rates and so it's a, it'd be a lot cheaper just for me to be like, oh, can you just hand me a couple of assistants from whatever host alone there is? But anyway, you know, I've met all these people because of social media. And so it's interesting because I had an actual real social, social network in person from my virtual network. I love it. And so, yeah. So I've, I've started to, re- to look at it as like actually building a community. And then also like thinking about it, like, you know, 
what do I want at the end of my life? Like, do I want to like die alone because I was such an asshole because I thought I was all that in a bag of chips because I was social media famous? Or it's like, you know, do I want to leave like a 35 year career legacy in my industry where I have people still saying that I inspired their career and I have old team members who call me, you know, at Christmas, you know, because I didn't treat them like shit, you know? So you have to think about these things and, and really answer that question because, you know, I watched this whole thing go down with the social media and I realized this person who was very social media famous actually had no real friends. And I was like, well, how is that fulfilling in life to have all of your interactions and people praising you on comments on Instagram when you've actually burned the relationship with everybody that was your friend in person? Well, you know, (laughs) I, so I'd love to share on this. Yeah, please. Um, I love what you're talking about. And if I might add, my mastermind group came from the in-person community and it is the most gratifying. And I have my main mastermind people who are like 10 people who've been, who came to my first classes and I hope they'll be on my education team one day when I can give more of myself. Like I admire that you give so much of yourself and financially, like, you know, I have my money tied up in other things like expansions and building and online and like all of the things. Right. But it's like, it will come, you know, and it's just a different order for me, but I admire and respect and have goals to do what you're doing with your team. And I think it's really great. Um, going to social media, talking about how these people with a lot of social media followers have not many friends or don't have real friends in real life. This is so common. And the coaching that I do, it's based on the six human needs. So I'm doing Tony Robbins and Chloe Madonna's like certified life coaching training. And they talk about the six human needs and it's certainty, uncertainty, significance, love, growth and contribution and certainty and uncertainty are paradox, right? Like you need a little bit of both, you know, we want to be certain, safe and secure, but we also don't want to know the next thing that's going to happen and be boring. The next paradox, which I think is really important to talk about when it comes to social media is significance and love. We all want to feel like we matter and that we're special and we all want to feel like we love and belong special, significant, and different is a paradox to belonging, right? So on social media, I struggle with this. This is personal for me. Um, I didn't get what I needed when I was a kid. You know, my dad was in jail. My mom was always working and I never got that significance or belonging to like a family. I'll never talk bad about my mom. My mom's an incredible person. She had to work to help us survive, you know, not saying anything bad about that, but still as a kid, I needed that love and significance. So I would look for other outlets and I developed a form of what they call love addiction. It's part of sex and love addiction. Um, I struggle more with the love addiction and the need for validation. So for me, when I discovered social media, it was a crutch for feeling loved, 
but really love is scary. Connection is scary. If they know who I am, will they really like me? Can I be who I am? Do I have to be somebody else? Do I even know who I am? Right. And settling for significance is easy because you can curate a whole feed. You can curate a whole identity. You can curate a whole system on social media to get you the likes, comments, shares, all of those things that make us feel that hit of feeling special. But what we really all want is love and connection. And like you sharing that whole story about um, social media and like how you said, when you let that go, that's not what life is all about. Like in my eyes, you were choosing love and connection over significance and being famous, you know, and you already, you are famous. You know what I mean? Like you have an amazing following, like you have an amazing tribe, but that you didn't get that strategically. You got that by letting God bless you and choosing the right things. And it just, it happened in, I know you worked really hard for it and I know there's a strategy behind it, but you know, you were saying that God blessed you. It was insane. Like what happened after you decided this isn't the priority. The priority is these real connections and the connections that you have with your team and like you going above and beyond for that and your family and your children, like all of those things. I think it's really inspiring. You know, I struggle with it and I I'm better. I'm getting better, you know, but for a long time it was like, I was looking for love, but I was like, I don't even know if I can be myself. Like well, if, if they knew who the thing is, like, if they knew who I was, would they even like me, you know, and yeah. over the last few years, my authenticity is mainly from my recovery and honesty. And I've always been very blunt, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. people will say blunt is authentic and real, but you know, there's right. a lot of things that, you know, you could be blunt and talk about and be like a badass and do all of these things. But like at the end of the day, real authenticity and a real following and real connections and a real community, which as an educator, the biggest gift is your community um, right. and what you build. Cause it is the legacy of 35 years. Like I love, I'm in like, you inspire me because I feel like I'm like, we're cut from the same cloth with this. And, um, truly being real is looking for that connection and listening and hearing and, and, you know, serving from a place of like, this is me. And it takes a lot of healing and recovery and strength and support and values. And it's not easy for everybody. Um, being an influencer, I, I, I don't like the word I'll use it sometimes, you know, I'll use it sometimes. It's not like I like, I hate this word, but I like more like to look at myself as a role model and I'm not perfect. I heard an AA meeting the other day. It was like, I'm only per, I only walk on water when it rains. Mm. I was like, damn, but I love this conversation, Ashley. I think it's super real. (laughs) And, um, I, I just wanted to add that about social media because we'll settle for significance, but what we're really looking for is love. And I think like when I post or something on Instagram, I'll always say like, what outcome am I seeking from this before I post? Like, what do I want to happen? And I started doing that like three and a half, four years ago of like, why am I posting this? Cause I've been on social media for a decade. You know, it's mm-hmm. been a part of my business. It's been one third of my business, my entire career. So it's a definitely a different habit to break and a different boundary to set. And when I started doing that, you know, do I want attention? Am I being toxic? what am I looking for? 
And I think just stopping and asking that question is helpful. So I just wanted to add, and you know, I love it. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, that just kind of goes back to that person's question. It's like, I don't want to be a part of Instagram. So, you know, um, and I, I think about it too. Like, obviously I have two small kids and I think about, you know, what I went through as a grown adult and how painful it was and how social media paid, played a part in it. And it's like, you know, God, like, what is it going to be like for my kids? Because, you know, I didn't even have Facebook in high school. I'm a little bit older than you. So, you know, when I was in high school, we didn't have Facebook. And so I, I, I just, I can't imagine what it's going to be like or how it is for kids that are growing up in this social media age where it's like, you're not just going through that normal, you know, looking for acceptance from society. You're looking for an acceptance on this, a global platform, not just like your local high school and your, your immediate nuclear family, but you're like on a freaking global stage at, you know, going through adolescence. It's like, shit, man, that's a lot. So, you know, it is an interesting thing. Yeah, that's scary. And even like, you know, on the news, I heard about this girl on Teen Vogue who did some like racist tweets or something when she was 17 years old, like she said it the wrong way and she lost her job years later, like a decade later from like something, the cancel culture, but like, think about like the kids growing up, like, and you know, we like, you don't develop a filter or like understanding repercussions or like long-term consequences, your brain doesn't comprehend that for a long time. And it is terrifying. I'd love to switch gears and just talk about your kids and your family. And I'd love to, I'd love to read something. This is what I was like freaking out over. I read this like twice and I was just like, what a savage. Cause like, I want to have kids. Like I'm 20, (laughs) I'm 28. My fiance and I, you know, we're about to expand at the network. I'm manifesting it. I don't know if it's actually going to happen, but I'm pretty sure we're going to expand because the place next door became available and we need more space. But like, we want to have kids, but it's just like, shit, when are we going to do this? And like, when are you ready? And I don't think you ever are ready. (laughs) And like you had written, and this is a post from March 11th. It's a picture of you all done up looking like a snick snack always. And then you (laughs) swipe and it's you, um, you know, holding your baby in the airport. And it says, um, you can't become a traveling educator. You're about to start a family. That was the advice given to me from someone I thought was my mentor. And then you go on to say, um, you know, how you shared with us your second class, you were six weeks pregnant. And over the last six years, five of the years you traveled pregnant or with a nursing infant or, and, or toddler. And my mother-in-law as my nanny. I'm not on anyone else's team. I don't have any awards. I've never been on a hair show main stage. And I only recently got my second ever sponsorship. Although I wasn't putting, although I wasn't put on the industry pedestal, I pride myself on the fact that everything I've accomplished was hundred percent grassroots. I like to say I built my brand on blood, sweat, tears, and breast milk. All in all, I'm extremely grateful for the opportunity to be a mom and have an independent platform. I grew up in the industry when all the top creative directions of education jobs were promotions given out by companies who rarely chose mothers. I read that and it just gave me so much hope and inspiration as like somebody who wants to be a mom, but like, doesn't necessarily want to just drop everything. I think women have a big fear of that and it's not easy. Oh yeah. 
And I'd love to just talk with you about that. Like anything you're open to sharing. I just, it inspired me so much. And I was just like, damn, like I can do this. (laughs) Oh yeah. Oh yeah, girl. Um, yeah. So I, you know, I'm very ambitious. I've always been very hardworking, you know, and my husband was like, Hey, it's time for babies. And I think I was like 27 or 28. I can't remember. And, you know, I was just like, I don't know. Like I just finished this last chapter in this part of my career and I'm starting a new chapter. And, and he was just like, dude, like it's go time. And I was just like, shit. And, you know, I was scared. I was very scared. You know exactly how you feel. I know exactly how you feel. And I read this book and you should probably read it is by the female CEO of Facebook and it's called lean in. I love that book. You've read it Lean a in. long time ago. I should read it again. So like her basic thing was, it's like a lot of women will either a not have kids or, you know, they'll just, if they want to have kids, they know they want to start a family. They'll start self-sabotaging their careers before they even have a boyfriend because they're like, well, one day I'm going to have to slow down. So I can't, I can't, I can't. And the thing is, is if you do that, then by the time you actually have the baby in your arms, your career is not really anything that you even want to go back to. And so, you know, the point is, is like to lean the fuck in until that baby pops out. Because by that time, you will have a career that's not only worth going back to, but it's also a lot more flexible because you'll be more in the power seat, both financially more secure, as well as have, you know, a bigger brand name. So, uh, you know, when I got pregnant with my son and I started doing this traveling independent education class, and then my, you know, salon owner was like, you can't do this. I was already pissed off at her to begin with. So then I was like, okay, now that you've said that, I'm really going to go do it and prove that I can't. So now that you told me I can't, watch me. And it was hard. Yeah, I was pregnant. And, you know, my son, I gained a lot of weight. I gained 60 pounds in my pregnancy with my son. And I had like cankles that had like two rolls, like two solid rolls in my cankles. (laughs) And I had to get up in front of 20 to 30 people, you know, teaching Sunday and Monday every other weekend, flying to different states, trying to still look cute. So trying to find cute maternity dresses that were going to fit by the time I taught the class. So it was, it was definitely interesting. And, you know, I did it. I taught my last class. I think, uh, maybe I was, I think I traveled when I was 36 weeks to Vegas and I taught a two day class. And then I taught one more class in my hometown. So I taught like pretty much three weeks before I gave birth. And I actually continued to work behind the chair until the day before I went into labor. So I, I leaned in (laughs) and then, you know, I had my son and I didn't book any clients, which is actually key. Don't, don't pre-book any clients after your maternity leave, start pre-booking your clients once the baby's in your arm, because you just don't know what's going to happen. You don't know if there's going to be complications or if the baby's going to be late. So, you know, just say, Hey, I'm going to put you all on a wait list and I will book you when I'm ready. So that way you, once you have the baby in the arms, you know exactly when and how much you want to go back to work. 
And also the fact that I did that was made it so that I actually established myself as an independent traveling educator. So once I actually had my son, I already had a wait list of host salons to sift through on my maternity leave. Also, because I had increased my brand value, I decided to take less clients and increase my prices. And I also wanted to work part-time because I knew that I wanted to breastfeed and that I wanted to be present with my baby. So I went to a work schedule. Instead of working 50 hours a week behind the chair and then traveling every weekend, I went down to three days a week. So I was working Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. Tuesdays and Thursdays, my mother-in-law would come over and watch my son. Saturdays, he was with my mother-in-law, I mean, with my husband. And then Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I was a stay-at-home mom. And so, you know, I got to go to a 10 o'clock in the morning Pilates class and my son would go in the little kids club and then we would go to the park or he would take a nap. And so it was funny because I, you know, I used to like make fun of the women that could go to a Pilates class at 10 o'clock in the morning. So I used to think, who, who, who can do that? Don't they work? And I thought they were just kept women, but then it was funny because then I was there, you know, doing that. And so <laughs> I kind of, I kind of, yeah, like, it, I mean, I definitely was like one of those who was like these women, cause I had to blow dry their hair sometimes, you know, as a, as a building stylist where it's like these women that had nothing better to do than go get their hair blow dried because, you know, and they always had, you know, Lululemon pants on and they always, you know, drove in, in big black SUVs. And then one day I was at the gym with my baby on my hip and my Lululemons. And I was trying to find my car and I went up to about three different black SUVs before I found mine. Oh my God. Like, <laughs> I was like, yeah, that it's happened. Yeah, it has it. happened. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was like, oh, well, this is great because I was taking better care of my health. I was in the best shape of my life a year after my son was born. You know, I was like, so I was in the best shape of my life. I was charging more and taking less clients. So I was making actually more money behind the chair. And then, you know, the days that I had off during his nap time, that's when I was negotiating my next travel trip. That's when I was curating better content, create higher brand value. So, you know, I was working smarter, not harder. And having the child actually gave me permission to value my time because before I had a kid, I was just, I would volunteer my time all the time. And once you have a kid, you realize every hour that you are at work is every hour that child is in childcare. And so either you're paying for that childcare, which you have to, that's an actual, like, you know, financial expense, but also the expense of not being with your child. So every time, every hour that I was going to work, it was going to be worth it. And so it definitely changed my perspective and the value I put on my time. I had to provide it was time to provide when I wasn't with my kid. So there was no more messing around. And that's something that, you know, men automatically have. They're like, if they leave the house, it's time to provide for the family because that's how they were trained. But for women, we have a different sentiment about the value of our time. And so, you know, having the, having a child really puts that to perspective. Also having a nine month deadline, you can get a lot done when you're like, well, shit, I got like, maybe eight months because the last month you're pretty much just like <laughs> waddling around. But if you only have nine months and you want to accomplish something, let me tell you, you will get that shit done. So it also kicks your ass into gear because you have no time to be afraid, no time to him and haw. It's time to go. It's go time. So anyway, same thing with my daughter. 
that's actually when I decided to start doing, you know, to move into a suite and to actually start filming my online education. I was like, well, if I want to film online education and I want to do it before I'm like a whale, I better start filming. And so I filmed all of my online education in my first trimester. And then I spent the rest of my pregnancy and then started uh, the rest of my pregnancy editing. And then on my maternity leave was when I first started releasing my online education. So I actually made a lot of money on my maternity leave with my daughter because I released my online. But yeah, so my mother-in-law, she was a special ed teacher for about 30 years. And, you know, to be a special ed teacher, you have to have a special kind of patience. So, you know, thank God for that. Because, you know, when we were traveling together, we started traveling when my son was, I think, about five months old. And, you know, it was scary because you never want to be that mom who's got the screaming baby on the plane. You just don't. It's not fun. But, you know, once you get there, you realize, wow, a lot of other people have kids and they actually understand and have a lot of empathy for you. And if they don't, like, fuck them. Like, (laughs) seriously. So. Anyway, my mother-in-law, you know, would be on the plane with me and help me with the baby and I would, you know, be nursing and then the day of class I'd have to come and it was hard. Like, you know, it wasn't easy and at the same time, I also realized, you know, this industry is really primarily female. There's a there's a small percentage of males, you know, compared to females in our industry. And a lot of these females guess what? They have kids. And so, you know, it actually made it so people wanted even more to come to my class because they were like, how do you do this? How do you do that? How do you, how do you double book and have time to take a pump break? And it's like a male educator would never know how to answer that question. (laughs) But, you know, I sat in the salon and in the break room pumping with two other students at the same time so there was like me and two other nursing moms all back there going like with our little you know with our breast breast pumps and we're all having this discussion about you know how do we schedule our clients around our pump breaks so it is really kind of interesting how yeah it actually makes you you know what what you're teaching even more relevant and you know and it also made me realize you know a lot of us are part-time working moms in a salon sola. And so, you know, what does that look like and how are you profitable and how do you, you know, have a high-end price and only take certain clients that are going to pay these prices for these luxury services and not mess around with these cheaper services. Because if you're only going to work three days a week, you got to make those three days count. So having those conversations And then also, you know, okay, how are you going to manage your schedule with your kids? And how are you going to, you know, create the social media content, but not let it interfere with your family? So these are a lot of things that I learned through experience and I'm able to, to share, but yeah, I mean, now, you know, me and my husband, like we talked about having a third and we, we got pregnant with my daughter when my son was two. So I thought, okay, well, I'll wait till my daughter is two. And then I'll think about having a third while she turned two last April. And that was during the thick of the first lockdown of our pandemic. And I was like, well, I'm definitely not getting pregnant right now during COVID-19 year. Um, And now she's going to be turning three this April. And I'm, you know, I'm turning 35 in July and I'm thinking, okay, well, this is kind of a cutoff, you know, if I'm going to have one more, I better make a decision about it. 
and even now, you know, I've had one of my team members like, oh, I don't think a third child really fits in with your career goals. And I was like, is that a challenge? Like, <laughs> I don't think you should say that to me because that kind of almost sounds like I'm going to have to have a third just to prove you wrong. Ashley Norman, I'm pretty sure <laughs> you can do anything. But anyway, I mean, yeah, it's freaking exhausting. Like it's traveling with an infant. The thing about it is like the way to get a kid to, to sleep train, to get them to sleep through the night is to give them a regular schedule. And if they are going to wake up in the middle of the night, you kind of have to let them cry it out. Well, you know, with my son, he didn't even know what time zone he was in half the time, let alone have a normal, like two o'clock nap every day. So there was no regular schedule. And, you know, we were in a hotel every other weekend. So it wasn't like I was going to let him cry it out in the hotel room because, you know, I was conscious of my neighbors. So I just, you know, breastfed him every three hours, day or night, or pumped every three hours, day or night, which means, you know, I would breastfeed him before he went down and then he would wake up at midnight and I would breastfeed him. And then he would wake up at 3am and I would breastfeed him. And then he would wake up at 6am and I would breastfeed him which meant I slept in a two and a half hour increments, about three, two and a half hour increments a night. And then I was also traveling, which meant there was time change differences. <laughs> and then I was in front of crowds. And, you know, I remember one time being teaching an open air painting class and I had this model with the most massive amount of hair. And I actually had forgot my breast pump in the hotel room and my mother-in-law had to take an Uber with my son to bring my breast pump to me. And if you don't like pump in time, you get really swollen and it's very painful. And so I was like kind of leaking a little bit and trying to paint this girl's hair. And I was so underslept because we were on the East coast, which is a three hour time change for me. And I, I honestly remember feeling like the entire room was spinning and I was still painting this girl's hair and I got through it. And then years later, I had a student that took that class direct message me. And she said, Hey, I see you're in Florida. Guess what? I'm taking your class again. And she said, I took your class, you know, X amount of years ago. And it was the best class I've ever taken. And it blew my mind and it changed my career. And I was like, wow, she doesn't even know that I was like swollen, leaking, and so exhausted that I literally felt dizzy. <laughs> And I, I got through that class and shit, man, if, if, if she thought that was good, she should see me with a full eight hours of sleep. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, what, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. So I, I guess is the, the moral of the story. <laughs> I love it. I, you inspired me. I want to have a baby now. How do I convince you should my, girl? How do, I'm 28. <laughs> I'm just do it. I want to do it. How do I convince my fiance? He's just like, we're not ready. We're too busy. And I'm just like, but we'll be fine. You're never ready. I think he's just nervous. Yeah. Do you have a good, you have a grandparent in town? <laughs> um, yeah. All right, girl, then you're golden. I'm good. Right. My mom is like, I'm just <laughs> yeah. waiting for you to have kids so I can quit my job. <laughs> oh yeah, girl. Then do it. If you've got your mom ready to quit her job, do it. Like, and it was interesting because I did, uh, I'm trying to like get back into working out after having like lived in Southern California with seven months of lockdowns over three different lockdowns and not having a gym to go to. And so I'm like trying to get back in shape after, you know, gaining the COVID-19 pounds. <laughs> and, uh, yesterday 
after my workout, we did like a, like a Shavasana cool down kind of meditation. And she's like, think about what makes you happy. And all I could picture was my daughter's little face. And, you know, the other day I was really stressed out. I had shit going on and I was trying to get her down for her nap and I was laying down with her and, you know, she didn't want to go down and she was trying to tease me. And she was like trying to tickle me and trying to lick my face and make me laugh. Cause she saw that I was kind of upset and, and she was just like kissing my face. And she's like, Oh, why you mama? Oh, why you? And I just like, you know, was in this like meditation after a really hard workout, just like picturing her little face, like kissing my little face and telling me she loves me. Not just like, this is what makes me happy. I'm like going to cry. Oh my I God, love my daughter. And my kids are just like, I'm telling you, dude, there is nothing like being a mom. They're like, honestly, like, I didn't even, I was like one of those people who like, who was on the plane while a baby was crying was like, ugh, get that infant. Shut up. You know, I was like the Grinch, you know, before I had children. I didn't even really like kids that weren't my own. And then I had kids and I'm like, I, I can't explain it. Like it's, and it's interesting because, you know, the, you know how people say babies smell good. And I never understood that. I'm like, what are you talking about? And they just smell like poop. And so, but there actually is a chemical that they release at the top of their head. And so like when you're nursing your baby and you smell them, you actually get a, a chemical high. <laughs> and so I used to like pretend that I was like doing lines off my baby's head. I'd be like, oh, it smells so good, you know, like to my assistants in the airplane and they would just look at me and go, I was crazy, but it's true. Like you just, the, this, it's this most incredible feeling that is so hard to, to describe like how you feel about your kids. I mean, yeah, like sometimes you just, they really piss you off. You know, it's, it's not easy when they, when they become toddlers, but it's like, man, like it's, it's incredible. It's like, I just, now that I have kids, I just, and that, that the fact that I remember thinking like that almost maybe I wouldn't have kids because I thought maybe it was going to get in the way of what I wanted to accomplish. It just, to me, I look back at that version of myself and I'm like, man, that Ashley was a self selfish dumbass because shit, if I had listened to her, God, I would miss out on the most amazing part of my life you know? And you know, when I'm in my eighties and it's Christmas time and no one gives a shit who Ashley Norman is because I'm some dated hairdresser, like who cares about Instagram, right? Like you're it's Christmas. And what do you want? You want to be surrounded by a house full of grandkids opening their gifts. I mean, that's, that to me is like, that's how, you know, you made it, you know? And so so that's what I look forward to. And, and that's what I try to keep into perspective. Like as I'm growing my brand, it's like, you know, it's like the Stephen Covey's book, like seven habits of highly effective people. Like one of them is like, begin with the end in mind. And like the way I interpret that is like, you know, when I get to the end of my life, like, what do I want? You know, I want to look back and feel like I left a positive impact on my industry and that I have a legacy that I'm a proud of, that I'm proud of. And I have people that I'm still friends with and I want to have a family and a connection with my kids enough for them to come home for Christmas and to share their grandchildren with me. And that, and that's, that really puts everything else into perspective. And if you just take a minute to stop and remember that and to picture that being 80 and Christmas day and being with your kids and your grandkids, it's like, okay, I, I know what's important, you know? 
Absolutely. Yeah. Anyway. No, you're amazing. <laughs> I'm so, I like literally am just so glad that we did this and thank you so much for making the time. Like I've been inspired by you for so long. I've been following you forever. I think that you're one of the best ever. Um, not just your talent, like what you you're inspiring to women. You inspire me. And I'm just so grateful that you made the time. Everybody follow her. What are you working on? What would you, I mean, please take it away. What, how can my audience work with you? How can they find you? What are you, what can, how do they take your online? Where are you going in person? I'd love to have you at the network. I know we go back and forth and I know it's like East coast and, you know, we have to nail something down, but I would love <laughs> to just give you the moment to just share what you're working on. Yeah. So I'm back on tour. So I'm back teaching every other weekend. I've been, I almost have all my classes for the end of the year release. So if people want to come see me in person, they can, you know, they can do that and find all my different um, locations that I'm teaching. Um, I also have the online education, which I just made some new film dates just to film some new content. I also have my own tool line, which is something I didn't really talk about. Um, so but awesome. when I for, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of, weird how it started. I mean, I literally just, people were asking me my first ever education tour, what tools I was using. And they said I should have a kit. And so then when I, after I had my son, I took the time to source the products that I liked wholesale. And then there was some things that just didn't exist on the market, like foilage boards that actually fit the length of the foil, which is like, why would you make a board? That's not the right length of the foil or the right width, like with the curve that's too short or too long. It doesn't make any sense. So I started designing this line of boards and, you know, at the time it was just, you know, my dad, my, my dad's my business partner. He went and helped me find a manufacturer and, and then he would come over to my house and I'd have the baby in the, in the little carrier and we would package these little kits and I would sell them in class. And then I sold them, you know, exclusively in person in my classes for a year. And then people were like, I want to be able to order this or that online. And I was like, oh crap. Now I got to figure out how to do an online store and then I got to start doing distribution. And so I started doing that, you know, and at first it was just, you know, one kit a week where I'd take my son and we would go to the post office and he, and he would help mommy mail the packages, you know, and now it's like built up to this like entire line of all these different pieces. And I had to have my mom take over my shipping and handling because it was just too much. And so now she's got this like entire garage and house, like living room full of my products and she's packaging about 25 orders on average a day. So it's doing really well. And eventually I'm going to actually have to get serious and get a warehouse and really distribute. And I'm actually coming out with my own product line. So actually like physical styling products. And what the first product has actually been stuck at the LA Harbor with all this container issues that is going on. So it should have launched already, but as soon as I get that first product in my hand, which is going to be a texture spray, I'm going to start um, retailing that. And I'm going to control the distribution because what I realized when I moved into a salon sola was, you know, that there wasn't a lot of product lines that were very high end that were available to the suite owner. And I was coming from a salon that had Bumble and then it had Kerastase and it had Orbe. And so I was used to using very high end products. And then when I got into my suite, I realized there really wasn't a lot available to me because all of these high-end lines required a $10,000 buy-in. 
Well, if you're in 130 square feet, you don't even have room to store that even if you could afford it. So I thought, you know, there should be a product line for the part-time working mom that is still very high end and has access to continuing education. Because one of the huge things that contributed to my growth early on was being a Bumble Network educator and selling the product and then using the points of my retail towards taking the classes in the New York Academy. So my goal is to have a line that you can have, you can do small buy-ins and that you can actually use points to, you know, the top, my goal is to start finding out who my top salespeople are and having classes specifically catered to them. So that's something that I'm working on and I'm hoping to, to release this year. Yeah. So if I, if I get them to ship through the port of LA, which is having a lot of issues because of COVID, if I eventually get them, I should have, I should be releasing three products this year. I would love to try them. Will you send me some? I'll buy some. Absolutely. I so, want to try them um, out. I'm really excited. Um, the manufacturer is someone I partnered with actually in England. His name is Paul Wendell. He was one of the creative directors for Bumble and Bumble, but for the UK. So Paul Wendell and Neil Moody were uh, partners and owned a salon together in London, which I've actually gone to uh, London and taught at that salon. And he now owns a manufacturing plant in England where he is curating these custom ingredient products. And his product line is already very good, but I also wanted certain changes because I obviously, you know, have a different aesthetic and it's more of an American aesthetic that I needed certain products specific for. And so, you know, we've been working together for three years and now it's finally coming out and it's three, you know, very curated, um, whatever products that we've come up with formulas is that's the word I was looking for three very curated formulas that we've worked together on. And so it's exciting because, you know, it's by a hairdresser for hairdressers and we've cut out the middleman. So it's just him and I. And so it says on the bottle, you know, Ashen Orn hair. And then it says, um, crafted in England by window London. So window London is his, his brand. So it's, it's just really exciting because it's not, you know, I didn't go to some random company and white labels and shit, you know, it's like, this is, this is something I've spent a lot of time on. And it's something that I've worked with someone who is a hairdresser has worked and been a creative director for major brands and owns his own manufacturing plant and is very conscious about, you know, the bottling, the packaging, sustainability, the ingredients. And also the thing about creating a line in um, Europe is that they have much higher beauty standards than we do here in America. So they don't allow half the chemicals that we allow here in America. Of course the, (laughs) yeah, so, so it's exciting. So I'm working on that. Um, Yeah. So that's pretty much it. Like in-person education, online education, tools, products, I got a lot going on, but you know, I'm, I'm doing, I'm, 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 I'm doing good. You know, it can be overwhelming at days. Um, but at the end of the day, I am like extremely grateful for what I've been able to accomplish. I recently moved to Las Vegas. So I moved out of Southern California to Las Vegas thinking about maybe opening a small salon here. I haven't decided. Oh, nice. And, um, yeah, we'll see. I mean, it's intimidating to do all the things, as you know, you can only spread yourself so thin. Um, but I do want to start rebuilding a clientele out here. I've been doing like traveling pop-ups, which is, I've been, which has been good, but I want to start 
building a small regular clientele here in Vegas. And um, so far, my husband actually left his job at Southern California Edison, where he was actually managing a team of engineers who had kids his age. So he was very successful at what he did. But last year, um, halfway through the pandemic, he actually left his job to support me and what I'm doing and our dream together. So he's still not working um, for, for a company besides ours. So it's kind of exciting because, you know, he was the breadwinner for most of our marriage. And then I started doing uh, better or making more, I should say, than him pretty much after I had my second child. So it was kind of interesting because the year I had my oh. daughter, he was like, he was like, wait a minute, did wow. you just have our second child and pass me up an income? And I was like, I did. I made more than you and I had a maternity leave. <laughs> and he was like, what the hell? So now he works, you know, not for me, but with me. So um, he might go back and do some contract work because he's got like three different companies headhunting him. But for now, he's been a stay-at-home dad and it's been kind of fun because we bought this house and uh on the mortgage it has him as like the homemaker which is hilarious because you know there was a time where he wanted me to be a stay-at-home mom and I was like that's not who you married so now he's the stay-at-home dad so it's just ironic how things have, have unfolded but you know I'm super grateful that he has been extremely supportive and and believes in my dreams sometimes even more than me so that's incredible. Yeah. What an inspiration, even like family, life, business, education, skills, like you are just killing it, Ashley. You're amazing. Thank you so much for being here, for being a guest and for sharing your story with everybody um, who listens and everybody watch and learn, follow her, go to her classes. She's amazing. Thank you, Ashley. Thank you. It was great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. And it was just great to get to know you. Like, it's just, you're so inspiring. So thank you so much for your time. I wish you nothing but the best. And I hope we get to work together soon, or at least we get to meet in person soon. Awesome. Sounds good. Hey, everybody. I want to remind you before we go that I'm going on tour. So I'll be traveling to 12 cities starting in August and going through November. I'll be going to Tampa, Florida at Smith and Maine. I'll be going to Orlando at Educe Salon, Fort Lauderdale, Hair Circus Freaks, Oakhurst, White Opal Hair, Miami, Emilio Briet Salon, Houston, Kaleido Hair, Atlanta, Jacob Kahn Hair, Las Vegas, J. Rua Glam Hair Salon, Salt Lake City at Create the Collective, Claremont, we're coming back to Cut House, in San Diego, we're going to my mentor and coach and idol salon, Robert Cromines. We're going to wrap up the tour at home at the Network Salon in Plansville for a hands-on class. It's going to be awesome. This class covers foiling, foliage, toning, pricing, consultation, Q&A, business, boundaries, everything. We are going to go in and it is going to be so much fun. I cannot wait to meet you all. If you want to get a ticket, feel free to click the link in my bio on Instagram or as always, you could visit thenetworksalon.com. Hope to see you on tour. Thank you for listening to the Bianca podcast. This episode is produced by Alora Media.